question. Uh, yes, yes there is a <laughs> How do Latter-day Saints differ from the world even if we view our physical bodies? Think about how generally the world or different religions or different societies look at physical bodies. How do we as Latter-day Saints differ in how we, how we view this physical body of ours? Yeah. One thing I've noticed, it was mentioned several times, is that the, the spirit and body together make the soul. I don't think the rest of the world thinks of the body as part of the soul. Yeah, the, the body is an essential part of this thing we call the soul. It's not just spirit. Okay. I think, I think that's true. What else? Yeah. I think we respect it as a gift. We do see it as a gift. We see it as a blessing. Okay? And we see it as a temple. That it's one of those things that we're supposed to take care of. Okay? To, to quote the, the, the late great Truman Madsen, he used to talk about how our physical body was a step up in the plan of salvation, not a step down. Yeah? about a That we need the physical body to complete certain ordinances that, and, and the fact that we have a body and those in the spirit world don't means that we have something that needs to be completed that it stops them. In a sense, uh, they feel damned. No matter how righteous they are, they feel damned and held back because they don't have their physical body. Okay? I mean, Yes. Yeah, we do, we are. Think about how that works because we're because generally a lot of the world looks at it and says this is my body I can do with it wherever I want. I can decorate it however I it want. It's my body. And we're in a, in a way we're desecrating a, a gift. Yeah. Yeah. And hasn't that led, though, to an awful lot of religions looking at it and saying, this physical body is the cross that we bear. And we look forward to the day we don't have to bother with this physical body anymore. And so a lot of that, whether it's lashings or whether it's doing pilgrimages on their knees for miles or something, we have to bring this body, this shameful, sinful obstacle to our spirituality, we have to bring it under subjection. And it's going to fight us every bit of the way, and we're going to argue with it, and we just look forward to the day we don't have to deal with our physical appetites, and we're just looking forward to not having our body. They don't get it. It's one of the reasons why, um, uh, in 2006, they, they ran a national poll of Christians and asked them about resurrection. Uh, and it's going to come a bit against this idea from Joseph Smith, that there were no resurrection from the dead, then Christ was not risen, and if Christ was not risen, he was not the Son of God. And if he was not the Son of God, there is not, nor cannot be a Son of God, if the present book called the Scriptures is true, because the time has gone when, according to that book, he was going to make his appearance. So with that as a, as a backdrop, they asked Christians in general about the resurrection of the Savior. 65% absolutely certain Jesus was physically resurrected. Okay. That also means a third of Christians on Easter aren't believing that he was resurrected or that believe that the resurrection was symbolic or it was a myth or something. Now, more astonishingly, 36% believe, 36% believe in their own resurrection. Okay? So it's always a fascinating question to ask our, our Christian brothers and sisters out there and say, isn't Easter wonderful? Yes, he was resurrected. Great. What did he do with his body after? What was the purpose of their whole resurrection if he just wasn't going to need it because God is a spirit and it was just like this physical manifestation of things? 
And there, so there's a lot of confusion. And again, when two-thirds of Christianity can't even see the purpose of their own resurrection, will you be resurrected someday? Why I spent all this world getting rid of this horrible physical thing, why would I have to get it back? And it's just, it's an, so they're looking at this story, this understanding of what the Savior accomplished with the resurrection with a little bit of a, I'm not sure I understand why we're doing this. Or it's a symbolic thing. Or it's metaphysical. Or it's, it's a mystery. We don't know why. So how do we do in the church with this idea? The resurrection. Anybody in your own collection have answers to gospel questions? There's an old volume. There's a bunch of volumes. Just a bunch of... Okay. Here's a primary teacher in, in this book. Page 29. When telling the story of the resurrection of Jesus, one of the children asked, why did Jesus come alive again? The only answer I could give was that he was so good that he could not stay dead. (laughs) Well, sweetie, he was just so good. He just couldn't stay dead. Ah. I have read the scriptures on the crucifixion, but cannot seem to get the full reason for the necessity of his death and how he had the power over death. Can you please explain this to me as it's given in the scriptures? Oh my. And yet, how many people do we think we have in our, in our congregations that are either recent converts or they've just kind of been traditional Mormons but haven't studied very much who themselves don't understand the concept of the resurrection? And one of those things that we've got to be able to do is understand this is one of the central core tenets of the Savior's... This is why he came. This was the purpose. Okay. Well, that said then, let's go to, uh, let's go to John 20. We've kind of spent last, sem- last semester and we've been working on it this semester and it's kind of all leading to this Lesson, because this is where all of this goes. Now, what I did, uh, because in looking through the uh, the different uh, gospels, you have uh, there's a lot that is the same, but there are different uh, additions based on the the version. Matthew has a little bit more information than Mark, and Mark has some different things than John has. And, and in looking at all of those, I thought, that's, that's a lot. You've got to bounce back and forth to get all the details. So what I did is I put together a little amalgamated version. Uh, so some, the difference in types on this is going to be the different versions. And I didn't, I didn't take the time to say, okay, this is a John and this is a Matthew. I just want you to... So we're going to look at the amalgamated version uh, of this story and kind of work off of that. But a lot of this is going to come out of John 20. And I know it's going to be a little hard to see. Uh, I can see it just fine. How are you doing? Anybody go to sleep? Okay. All right. In the end of the Sabbath day, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, early in the morning came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to the sepulcher. Who's the other Mary? Could be. Don't know. Doesn't ever say. Just the other Mary. Um, So here come the women. Remember uh, that there's a a rush at the end of... uh, It's Passover is drawing nigh. They need to get them off the cross because that's desecrating the... For, for, it's a crucifixion, but it's desecrating the Passover to have them hanging during the Sabbath. So we've got to get them down, got to get them buried. Uh, now, the, the, uh, it's kind of an interesting tradition. I'm not going to go into uh, a lot of detail, but had a chance at uh, uh, Education Week um, to sit in on an archaeology uh, set of classes on this. And particularly what would happen with this one is that 
what was happening, the burial style at this time of the Savior, believe it or not, they would take they would take a body and they would take it into the family tomb and they would wrap it in sh- and shroud it in cloth and then they would leave it for a while, like months, until the body decayed and it was down to bones. Then they would go back into the family tomb, take the bones and put it with the bones of the rest of the ancestors. So there'd be like a, there's like a, a bench, a stone bench on the inside where the body would sit. And then, like I say, about six months later, whatever, they'd go back in. Now it's just really bones. They would very carefully take the bones. And then at the back of the, osh- back of the, the tomb would be like piles of bones. And they would take those set of bones and they would place those uh, right where all the other bones were. So talk about buried with the bones of my father's and all that is, is really what that was. Um, that's why there's the style and the way that they did it is what casts some doubt as to what we have traditionally assumed was the garden tomb. May not be because that's, that's a style about two or three hundred years later, not the one that would have been present at the, at the you know, 33 A.D. Kind of thing, but that's but they would have hurried, just wrap him in shrouding, and then and hurry, put him inside, put him on the bench, and then roll the stone, get some help, roll the stone. Uh, then they were going to try and come back, get some help, get at least spice the body a little bit, so that as it decays, it, it's not quite as kind of foul smelling, kind of thing. Okay, so the the women are going to come take care of this, Mary Magdalene. Two angels of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And the women seeing the stone was taken from the sepulcher and two angels sitting thereon. That would get your attention, wouldn't it? Early in the morning. Okay. Their countenance was like lightning and their raiment was like snow. And the fear of them, for the fear of them, the keepers did shake and became as though they were dead. I don't know if they just passed out or if they were playing dead. But the, remember that the, the keepers, the Sanhedrin had requested the Romans to place uh, guards because these guys kept saying he was going to come back in three days. Okay? So they're going to they're gonna post the guards. The guards are going to kind of faint. And then the, but it is the uh, angels that roll the stone back. The angels answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for ye know that ye seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, but is risen. Now, it's my belief that this was so shocking to these sisters that they didn't hear anything that came after that. All they heard was the first couple of lines. He is not here. He is risen. Oh, remember how he spake when he was yet in Galilee? saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified the third day. He rise again. Now, again, when I look at this, it's sometimes interesting, and you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, and the Lord says to them, If you eat this fruit, you will die. How much experience did they have with die? So, I think it's wonderful that they probably looked at each other and went, Die? Is that a bad thing? I guess we don't want to do that die thing. You ever seen anything die? No, I don't have any experience with die. Wow. Okay. I guess it's a die thing and we don't want to do the die thing. Gosh, I wonder what that looks like. And so I, I want to give these sisters the benefit of the doubt where he says, He is risen. And they go, Risen? What, what do you think risen means? Is that like a spiritual, symbolic thing that there, somebody's going to raise him up and take him? Uh, he's going to be risen. He's gonna, is he going to be taken? Are they, I think they're kind of translating that. Uh, he, okay. A third day, rise again. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Here's the witness. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen. There's that word again. From the dead, behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there ye shall see him. Remember this probably next week when we start talking about Peter and the brethren saying, we go a-fishing? Where did they go to go a-fishing? 
Galilee. I don't think we're going to find them just shucking off their callings. I think the Lord had promised them that some things were going to happen in Galilee. And that's where the teach, a lot of the teachings will occur in the post-resurrection period of time. But, but specifically, He'll meet you in Galilee. Okay, alright. You shall see Him, lo, I, there you shall see Him, lo, I have told you. I fulfilled my calling, I told you He's risen, and go tell everybody else. What was so special about Galilee? Just the Savior said, I will, on the third day I will be risen, and then I will meet you in Galilee. And I think that's the Sea of Galilee, I think that's where, I think they were going to get out of Jerusalem to where they could be taught, where they're away from prying eyes. But he just had promised that that's where they were going. How far was it from Jerusalem? How far, Sister Maloof, how far is Galilee from, ask me this time next year, I'll be able to tell you after I've been there. (laughs) But at the moment... Couple hours? Is it more than that? Thirty minutes to the Sea of Galilee. That's by car, I guess. So uh, maybe maybe forty miles, thirty, forty, fifty miles, something like that. Okay, um, but enough to get out of Dodge so that they can get away from prying eyes and do the teaching that they need to do. Okay, yeah. I have a question up there where it says uh, the angels tell him and it, and the third day rise again. I don't know when the other time was. Oh, the rise again. I think this is the rising from, yeah, that's kind of a weird, because he hadn't risen before, but he was down and how he's going to get up again. Maybe rising up is what he did every morning. Oh. And he'll rise up in this morning the way that he did the rest of his life. Okay. Kind of thing. Good, good question. All right. Now, the phrase here I think is interesting, and I love this, and this is one of those things that I, kind of the takeaway for today that I want you to kind of think about. It's her response. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run. And did run. To bring his disciples uh, word, and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. Now, that idea that, can you picture in that moment, they still don't completely understand exactly what's going on. Remember, she's going to, Mary Magdalene's going to come back and say, where did you take, thinking that the Savior's the gardener, where did you take him? She's still not completely clear on this. But what she knows when they leave that tomb is, he's gone. He's left. Something has happened. And it is saying that she's going to go with fear and great joy. At this moment with Mary, she's running and she knows something that nobody else in the world knows. Not even the disciples know what she knows at this moment. And she's carrying this to these guys. And I'm just thinking how miraculous... Now, if you knew that something this great had happened, wouldn't you do something similar? Wouldn't you run? I think we just run. And the question is, what would cause you to run? What message could you have that would cause you to drop whatever task, responsibility that you were doing and say, I'm going to drop it all and run? Yes. And everybody was, uh, everybody was, um, when I came back, they were like, oh, because I just ran. I left. I didn't say a word, and it scared them because I left so fast. And they're like, you were so fast. (laughs) No, I'm so scared. (laughs) I imagine that same feeling. I mean, this was more of a fear thing, but, you know, fear and joy. Can you imagine that same feeling? Of just, you've got, you, you know something and you run. Um, I, I, I've, I've told this story before, but, uh, so I apologize for those who've heard it before. But I remember I came back from my, my mission in uh, February of 1978. Okay? And 
a couple of months later, I was I was dating a girl, and I I'm trying to do kind of the good PR thing. So I I her her dad likes to golf. So on a beautiful morning, we go out and go golfing. I'm with her dad, and we have a great morning golfing. He and I, and I and I was driving, and I I dropped him off. This is the first week of June. I drop him off at his house, and then I drive back home, and I'm driving down the road towards my house, and I look up, and I can see somebody running down the sidewalk. And I'm thinking, that looks an awful, awful lot like my mom, who was never a really big exercise. In fact, she never exercised. It was not her thing. And I'm looking, at it, wow, that really looks like my mom running. And I'm looking at it, and I, I get closer. It is my mom running down the sidewalk. And so I just pulled over the side of the road. I went, Mom, what are you doing running down the sidewalk early in the morning here? And she says, you can't believe it. You can't believe it. They've given the blacks the priesthood. It's cool. There's been a revelation. And she's just beside herself. <laughs> now, you've got to understand, I'm a recently returned missionary. And nobody knows more than a recently returned missionary. <laughs> so I said very calmly, Mother, get back in the car. That's silly. I've read my Bruce R. McConkey. It won't happen until after. You know, it's not going to happen. You know, I just gave this lesson. On my last week of my mission, I gave it to these, this wonderful black family. And I loved them. I would have loved if they would have got them. But they're not, it's not going to happen. She goes, no, it's all over the news. It's all over the news. You can't believe it. And I said, no, okay. Look, come on, mother. You know, let's take you home and get your pills. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And so we drive in, and we get in, and we turn on the TV, and it is all over the news. That was worth running for. That would be that is joyous news to be out running for. And I guess that's my question: What would we run for? What great news would we hear? And if you heard great news, like for instance. If you knew that maybe the Savior was coming tomorrow, where would you run and to whom would you run? I mean, I realize these days we'd probably do social media. Quick, get it on Facebook. Okay? I got a great steak. They ought to see that one. But this is like better than those kind of things. Okay? So, and I'm not necessarily looking for an answer, but I just want you to be thinking. Where would you run and to whom would you run? And what news could you hear that would cause you to run? What would get you up of off where you are and want the world to know? Especially if you're the only one at that moment who knows. Yeah, if the Savior had returned. If the Savior was returning, where would we run and to whom would we run? Totally, but go ahead. Yeah. I would say that some of the things that I heard in general conference at least made me want to get up out of my chair and do something else. Did you hear something at conference that if you had really got it that you would love somebody else to hear that maybe wasn't there? Great point. Because we heard, we heard the prophets speak this weekend. Would you run? Where would you run? And to whom would you run to? Couple of examples, and this is, I love this. This is from uh, How Beautiful Upon the Mountain, uh, Isaiah 52, which we're probably going to be doing in January or February. We're going to be doing the prophets. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him or her that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that publishes. Get that word out. Uh, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. Thy watchman shall lift up the voice. Who's the watchman? And if you have the good news, doesn't that make you a watchman or watchwoman? Watch person? 
With the voice together they shall sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, ye wasters in Jerusalem. For the Lord hath comforted his people, he hath redeemed Jerusalem. Would that be worth running? Isaiah 52. Now, brothers and sisters, such a sermon demands that I openly acknowledge the unearned, undeserved, unending blessings of my life, both temporal and spiritual. Like you, I've had to worry about finances on occasion, but I've never been poor. Nor do I even know how the poor feel. Furthermore, I don't know all the reasons why the circumstances of birth, health, education, and economic opportunities vary so widely in mortality. But when I see the want among so many, I do know that there but for the grace of God go I. I also know that although I may not be my brother's keeper, I am my brother's brother. And because I have been given much, I too must give. In that regard, I pay a personal tribute to President Thomas Spencer Monson. I've been blessed by an association with this man for 47 years now. And the image of him I will cherish until I die is of him flying home from then economically devastated East Germany in his hot slippers. Because he had given away not only his second suit and his extra shirts, but the very shoes from off his feet. How beautiful upon the mountains and shuffling through an airline terminal are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace more than any man I know. President Munson has done all he could for the widow and the fatherless, the poor and the oppressed. Yeah. Who needs to hear what our message? You know, where would we run? And I just I just have this enduring picture of uh, Mary Magdalene especially just running. And she's got something to say. From the Old Testament. David sat between two gates. And the watchman went over to the roof. Over the gate. Under the wall. Lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld a man running. Alone. And the watchman cried and told the king. The king said if it be... If he be alone, there is tidings in his mouth. He's all by himself. This isn't an army. He's running. He's got news. And he came a space and drew near, and the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the porter and said, Behold, another man running alone. And the king said, He also bringeth tidings. And then listen to this wise counsel. The watchman said, Methinketh the running of the foremost is like the running of Ahmaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man. And because I know who he is, he bringeth good tidings. Because I know who he is, I know that the tidings he brings will be good. When we run, and to whom would we run, and where would we run, and what message would we run with, Will people 
listen to us because they know who we are. They recognize that message coming from us will be good. That's, that's an incredible challenge. Think about the times that uh, you've maybe heard good news from somebody you don't trust very much or don't like very much, and you kind of go, well, yeah, I'm going to have to get it from somebody else because I don't believe them. Wow. That, that's, that's pretty heavy. Am I poking you a bit? Kind of spirit of conference, you know. Okay. Yeah. So, they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. They did run to bring the disciples' word. And they told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. And their words seemed to the disciples as <laughs> idle tales. And they believed them not. Now, against this backdrop, that's a little staggering, isn't it? So here's let me ask you this, okay? So here's the disciples' response. Here, let me ask. Had they ever watched him heal the sick? Yeah. I mean, they had seen the, the lepers and they'd seen the blind get sight and hearing and all this kind of thing. Um, did they watch him calm the sea? So they recognized this was a man of great power to be able to. What manner of man is this? They watched him calm the sea. Did they watch him walk on water? Not only does he calm the sea, but he commands the elements. He walks across the top of it. Did he? Okay. Now, did they watch him raise the daughter of Jairus? Did he have power over death? Did they watch him raise Lazarus from the dead? Okay, this is what they've been watching for three years. Just one incredible thing after another. Remember, enough that everybody associated his with the power with him. Enough, remember, last week we were talking about that when the mob comes to capture him in the Garden of Gethsemane and they go, who, he says, who are you looking for? Looking for Jesus. I'm he. Ah! You know, it's like this is a guy that everybody knows has great power. And they fall backwards. And he has to go, it's me. Go ahead. Go ahead and take me. I'm supposed to do this. Okay? So, did he rise from the dead after three days as he said he would? Okay? And Mary's words seemed to the disciples as idle tales and they believed him not. Why? Why, why, why? Yeah. I don't know why, but I would say that the fact that even the disciples who witnessed all these miraculous things, the fact that they were even heard something that seemed almost stupid to be true, you can kind of relate it to other um, people on the earth today, Christians, if you will, that also have a hard time wrapping their mind around it. And they have a witness. That is so good. See, I sometimes want to give them that little benefit of the doubt going, maybe they wanted to believe it and it sounded too good. But they're just not believing it. We're going to see that with Thomas in a second, too. Well, I just saw something. The women ran, it was the next day after he had been crucified. That was day one. Yeah. And the angels were there. And right. they told them that he had risen. And then when you mentioned that they said he'd ris he will rise again, okay, that's the first day. Maybe the disciples are thinking, wait, this isn't the third day. They might be, maybe there was some confusion on their part. Okay? Yeah? Maybe it's just because they were women. I've wondered that. <laughs> I've wondered that. In other words, they were just in that culture, they were just counting the fact that these are women. Doesn't explain Thomas, though. 
Thomas is going to get told by 11 guys, or 10 guys, no, it really is true. And he's still not going to believe. But I, I think some of that might have been the fact that it's just, it's just hen's tails. It's just women, you know. Maybe that. Okay? Any other ideas why they wouldn't believe? Yeah. Rise. What was that? What what would that look like? Maybe it's symbolic. Maybe it's spiritually. And the one that had done all of these great things was dead. And okay, and now let's let's take this for for a second. You're right. The one that had done all these things was now dead. How was he dead? He was crucified. By man. By man. And again, there is, we were talking about last week, there was that tremendous sword thrust, spear thrust into his side. People don't come back from that one. Lazarus might have had something. Jairus' daughter might have had something. But we watched him tortured. And we watched the spear thrust. And we watched his life drain out of him. Maybe this is one you don't come back from. And the one who was going to do it is the one that is now dead. Okay? Yeah. Um, they didn't have the Holy Ghost yet? Maybe there was that. They weren't listening so much inside. They were listening to the... They were taking counsel from their fears. That's a good good point. You think they're tired? <laughs> They've been up all night. Uh, they are living in fear. That's why they're hiding out for fear of the Jews. You know, there's... The mob mentality, maybe we're next, kind of thing, and he did tell us to scatter. Well, and it's also just the nature of people in general to be skeptical. You know, you you took your you told the story about your mom, and uh, you wouldn't believe her. No, I wouldn't. Because I because I that's a good point. Because I knew more. <laughs> you know, I'm a brimming return missionary. I know stuff. I've studied stuff, and to make that leap. Is a, is a tough one. Okay? Plus, you know, they've been mourning. They were scared. And when you go that, you don't want to get your hopes up to having dashed. You know? Yeah. Like, no, no, you know, just... You know, one more, one more thing. Um, maybe their idea of what it would be like for him to rise yes. was different. Maybe they would have thought that they would see him coming in clouds of glory, not just having... So part of the problem may be the way that they were visualizing. Okay? And, and a lot of times I find that in my practice is that sometimes people struggle because you have a visual view of what should happen with your life, with your kids, with your world, what should happen in church. You have an expectation. Uh, that's, what, that's what the... Reality show Brightzilla is all about, right? It's like they have this vision of what it should look like, and it never turns out to be that. And then they get upset. Well, there was a, there may have been a visual idea. By the way, I've never watched Brightzilla. I just know what that's They're just all that way. They're all that way. Okay. They're so annoying. Um, I just think that we were running right up against the perceptions and ideas of what these brethren had. What they were expecting. And we don't know what those are, but we know that this wasn't it. This was counter to all of that. They had seen something different on Pinterest. <laughs> I think that's it. It was a Pinterest thing, yes. <laughs> Back then, Pinterest was probably the synagogue where people would just... <laughs> Thank you, Ness. Okay, so, so I have a question then. This is the President Packer's therefore what? Okay? I wonder where our idle tale line is in our own life. That we can believe things up to a certain point and beyond that, that would be an idle tale in our own life. Where is that line between actually believing what he said and dismissing his words to us as idle tales. Where is your idle tale line? Again, in my office, this is one I hear a lot. I believe in the atonement of the Savior. 
And I believe that it will heal you and you and you, but it will not heal me. I believe that the Lord intends for happiness and joy for her and them and them, but not for me. I believe that He forgives sins for them and them and those and them and not for me. In my case, that's an idle tale. This is, that's too far. The Savior could do everything up to this point, but cannot do it for me. That's the idle tale line. Why do we do that? Just human nature. Why do we have this line that says, in my case, no, and for everybody else, yes? We're going to limit what the Savior can do to what I assume, but in my case, I'm a special case, it doesn't apply to me. Why do we do that? I think sometimes we, I see your perfection. I know my imperfection. You know my outsides. Yes. And you know your insides. Absolutely. And it doesn't match. Never. And we never do that in sacrament meeting, right? Oh, no. We never walk into sacrament meeting and look around and go, okay, I want to see all their inside stuff. Yeah. We see all we see the side in sacrament meeting we expect people to see, right? We work hard at making sure that people see this outside persona, and guess what? Everybody believes it. <laughs> but only you know your inside stuff. So you don't see their I get to see it, I hear it in my in my office. Exception to the rule. Yeah, we we become the exception to the rule. Yeah, Kimberly. We do tend to do that, don't we? We look at ourselves at our worst, and we compare somebody else's to their best, mainly because a lot of times we're seeing their best, and we assume that that best, and we have a picture of what their life looks like. And so because of that, but then we know how bad we feel and the Savior can't get to this part. Yeah. And all those things are true, but basically it's Satan telling us that we... You think we get some help? Yes. 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 Twist it all around to in your case, in your case, it doesn't apply. Right. What you did was so bad. I think even though other people don't, in your case, you knew better. Yeah. You, okay, keep going with that. Um, you know, it, um, humility means humility. Well, it really means no better than no less than. But for me, making less than was an easy way to consider myself humble. So I am not worthy of it. So humility in that case means that that he loves everybody else, but I'm going to beat the crud out of me. Right, and it wasn't the correct way, but for me. Well, especially, and let's say that you sing in church or you gave a good talk or a good lesson or you provided some service and somebody comes along and says, you did a great job on that. What do we do with that? Oh, that would be grateful. So we're really fast to beat ourselves up and say, I'm not supposed to take any joy in that. I, I like that. I think our perceived humility. And you had a question. Yeah. I think sometimes it's a lack of experience that we have trouble having faith in something we haven't had our own personal experience. Sometimes it's our own lack of experience and experiencing. It is interesting that, that those that I've worked with, for instance, who have gone through deep repentance and pain and stuff like that and emerge on the other side, and then you talk about the Savior's atonement and you see a sparkle. It's like, I get it. I've, I've gone through that. I've felt it. I've experienced God can do that. Up to that point, it's just a theory. Great point. Yeah. I think sometimes we feel that we're responsible. And that responsibility means that we can't go to some other source for relief. Yeah, we are responsible, and we and especially if we don't understand the atonement, we have a tendency to say, I'm responsible, I have to be perfect. I do all that I can, and then he makes up the difference. Okay? That that little uh, twist of that Satan is really good at saying, and you never have done enough to deserve it. No, we never deserve it. Oh, I'll never forget one time a sister bore her testimony about a wayward child, and I really was concerned that she might, 
was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Yeah. And um, as a mother who has struggled with a, a son who is not living the gospel and has been through some consequences, I feel like as members of the church, we need to let others know what we have gone through, that they might understand you're not alone, that there are others of us who struggle and go through difficulties. Let, let me take that one for a second. She's just saying sometimes we that, that having gone through those struggles, we have a bit of a responsibility to let other people know that we have gone through that and that there's hope or that there's peace that comes regardless of... And isn't that the running we're talking about? Isn't the running saying, if you have that knowledge and it could bring peace and joy to somebody else, I think it's time to open our mouth. I think it's time to... Like we have, like to, to be honest about saying in a Relief Society setting, so I struggle with depression, or I struggle with this, or I struggle with that, and I found peace. Or that uh, I'm not going into detail, but I've had to work through my own issues and do some repenting and things like that. And the Savior's atonement brings peace. To me, that's how beautiful upon the mountain we're declaring His His redemption. Yeah. And Sister Marriott's talk. Yeah, Sister Marriott. Kind of referring to, to that, yeah. That's, I think that's our responsibility when we have had those experiences. That's what testimony meeting is supposed to be. I'm going to publish good news, not travel logs. We got stuff to say. He, I felt this, the peace of His forgiveness and His love, and it's real. That's worth running for, I think. Could it also be that when we hear things like they were telling us, don't think of who needs to hear this, but internalize it yourself. Is it I? Yeah, and I think if we don't internalize what's being said to us, that, yeah, you know, we are going to partake of everything that Christ has and what he's given us, instead of thinking, oh, so-and-so really needs to hear that, then we're blocking it off, and that's why we wouldn't... I think that's... Is it I? It was I, and here's what happened to me, and the world needs to know. Lesson. I'm concerned about children who think these are idle tales. Yes. Until we bear testimony. Yes. Or our teens think they're idle tales. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great point. What about our self-doubt and fear that we won't be able to have the faith and the courage to face all the things we need to and do our part? Maybe our own self-doubts create the idle tales. They said, he said he can help me do this. I got I get called as Relief Society president, and the bishop said I can do it, but boy, that feels like idle tales. That's, too, that's a bridge too far. He's, got to, he's only got me to deal with, okay? I'm, I'm too rough, in his case, for him to do that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a great point. And then he went on to express just all the experiences. We've kind of been around. We've been around a lot of people. Yeah, I love that. We kind of know our stuff. And I realize that we're old. And by the time you get to be a senior apostle or the prophet, you're really old. But we kind of been around for a long time. Yeah, I thought that was a, a great point. Okay? These are the idle tales. And so I just think part of as you guys, as we look at these things and we go, okay, which part for me do I tend to say, I believe it up to a certain point, but here is, here's my Maginot line. I can't get on the other side of this. this is, I draw the line here because it doesn't apply to me. Well, Lord, is it I? Yes, it does apply to me as well. And then publish that. Am I really going to live again? Will I really live again? And, and by the way, will I? do I have any shot at the celestial kingdom? Or do I just need to be happy with the terrestrial and be called good? Yeah, I think we do it all the time. And I think we're surrounded by saints around us that have these limitations. Happiness and happy families are something other people do and we doesn't. Along that same line, I have always had the concern um, that... As I study the scriptures and I think I'm perceiving who Christ is, 
that when he comes again, will I know him? Because he walked with those two apostles or disciples. Yeah, the road of Emmaus. And they didn't know him until after he was gone. And I thought, wait a minute, they were with him. They were with him. And I haven't been with him. All I can do is read and know in my heart. But did they not know in their heart? One of them, and actually, we're going to talk about this next week. One of them was his uncle. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't help. <laughs> and, and he didn't get, yeah, we're talking about the mode of the next week. It's okay, you're doing fine. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> okay, then rose Peter. And, and I'm going to substitute, because John always had this, this this disciple that the Lord loved, you know, and there was another apostle. No, it was him. So I so in the amalgamated version, I just kind of I just plopped him in. Like I want you to hear it. Then arose Peter and I and came to the sepulcher. But they ran to. Yes. We ran together, and I was faster. <laughs> Peter's had too many fish. You know what I'm saying? He just, he's not running quite so fast. I did. I love that. It's a little bit like Nephi, you know, going. You know, I'm kind of large of stature, and I was able to hold. You know, yeah. I did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. Okay. Then he does an interesting thing. And stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went not in. Why? Huh? For? For? Peter. Who's in seniority here? When you watch General Conference, everybody stands up and who leaves the building first? The prophet. President Monson. Yeah. And I always love being in the conference center and growing up, going to conference and going to the tabernacle. And that was one of those great moments. You'd, everybody would stand out of respect until the prophet left the building. Isn't it surprising? It can be like a bunch of magpies in the whole building. Yes. And he walks in. And... Isn't that great? Whether, whether I've been in the Marriott Center or the Conference Center, wherever, and the prophet comes in, you're right, it's like magpies. Yeah. <laughs> out of respect... For here comes the prophet, and I believe that that's, that's my own belief. I think that's what happened. I think, I think this is Peter's, he, it's, it's a seniority thing. Then cometh Simon Peter, following me, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and he departed wondering in himself at that which had come to pass. Peter still was still wondering. He, they still couldn't. And then John throws this line in, and this is the intriguing part uh, for me. He says, and I went in and I saw and believed, for as yet we knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Well, that's pretty clear. For all of the times, you go back and read all the times the Savior says, I will rise again. I will meet you in Galilee. And John is basically saying, we still didn't know. Yeah, well, he... We didn't know this. Yeah, we don't. We didn't get it. We didn't. And was that? We didn't comprehend it. We didn't. To some level, we still didn't know what we were looking at. Well, some of the other scriptures, the pro, or, um, Jesus had fulfilled, and they saw that. Isn't a knowing? Isn't knowing somebody like a like um, knowledge? Well, <laughs> yeah, like knowledge. But they had seen these other things transpire. And they, and they saw them. They knew that they happened. They, they were prophesied to happen. And Christ was fulfilling the scriptures. But they hadn't known that scripture to be fulfilled yet. Yeah. And now it is. That's why I say there's a lot here. But it's amazing how much doubt and lack of clarity there was for these guys. From the earth. <coughs> Peter? Because they've always been, they've always been around him. They've seen it. And they've been able, like, think about Peter walking on the water. He was able to reach out to the Savior. I mean, he was right there. It's a whole different thing 
when you have to transfer from that to a faith. And I think that nowadays that's such a problem we're having is that people trying to learn to identify faith and yeah. understand what faith is and trust faith and not fear. I, 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 saw, I saw a wonderful... Uh, uh, I, I actually repost on, on Facebook uh, wonderful professor at BYU, Daniel Peterson, who is actually can be quite cutting in his remarks uh, to people that attack the church and things like that. One of the things that he posted was a picture, was a meme of a, this angry guy, and it was like the the uh, motto of an atheist, uh, no motto of an angry atheist. Two, two, the tenets of an angry atheist. That's what it was. Two parts. Number one, there is no God. Number two, I hate him. <laughs> you know? Like they're not understanding all this, okay? Uh, well, I, I just think that there is, if it's not logical, if I can't understand it, then I, I tend to have a problem with this. Yeah, Shannon? We do. Wondering, what does this work? How does this work? What what will this look like? But great point, great great point. See, I would love, I would love for my belief to go more there rather than I don't know, rather than I'm I'm, I'm overwhelmed by all of this. We can show a video at the end where I think that nails. Yeah, where, where do we go from here? And I'm wondering what we do now. Great great point. Okay. So, I've shown this before, but it's still, it's just too good, so, here it is. Because this is how I would tend to see it. that make sense? That if, if as they really started to get their hearts around this, it's like, he did it. But we're not sure how he did it and to what extent he did it, but something marvelous has happened here. And I think that's what was going through Mary as she's running. I don't get it, I don't completely understand it, but something incredible has happened here. Now, uh, really, Mary will make the trip twice, right? And we're going to talk more about that. I'm going to I'm going to end just a little bit early because I've got 
because next week I want to be able to do that plus the road to Emmaus and then the ministry of the Savior after post-resurrection time. But I want you to picture that Mary will make this trip back and forth to the disciples twice. The first one comes as she has been, she's seen angels and, and she doesn't understand and she's going to make that trip. When does she make the second trip? After she has seen the Lord. She will go back. She is actually there when, when Peter and John are there. She'll go back. I think she went with them. They get there and then she, they leave. And she's still there. The Savior comes. She visits with Him. And then I think and then she runs again. And she's going to go back and say, Now I've not just seen angels. I've seen and talked to Him. And they're still going to have a hard time wrapping their head around that. But she will make that trip. So my, my challenge, I guess, I think is us as Latter-day Saints. No people on earth understand the extent of what this means on the resurrection side. Not just on the redemptive side, but the victory over death that is coming. Two-thirds of Christians don't even believe that in their own resurrection. We have great news. We have great news. And when we have, especially after this experience of conference and we heard things and we wrapped our hearts around the things that they were saying, what a great chance to share that with somebody. And they might be kids that see it as idle tales. They could be neighbors that for this kind of stuff would be marvelous. And they just don't get it yet. But we run. And I think that's, that's going to be critical. I pray that we can keep these things in our heart and be able to share them when those opportunities come. Because this is the greatest news in the history of the world. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.